Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for everybody who could be here this morning. I thank you for everything that you brought into our lives over this past week that stretched us, that stretched us, that drew us to you, that, that forced us to come to you, lay down what is bothering us, lay down our sin, lay down our fears, our anxieties, and just rest in you. And Lord, I thank you for leading each and every one of us, having our paths all cross again right here at Fellowship Church, where we can hear from your word, and I pray that it would make a real impact on our lives. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. According to a Business Insider article published a couple of years ago, here are some collector's items that many people continue to hold on to, thinking they're very valuable, but are actually pretty worthless today. I hate to burst anyone's bubble with these. Okay, here we First up, vinyl records have roared back in a comeback in that millennials have an appreciation for them that other generations don't. But don't think you're going to get much money for your vinyl collection. If you have any of the old Beatles albums, those could fetch you between 500000 and a million dollars. But most records, yeah, now some of you are going to go home and see if you have any of those. But most records are worth on, still only worth a couple of bucks these days. If you have a massive collectible Pez candy dispenser collection, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> still, even at this point, most collectible ones still only sell for a couple of dollars on eBay. Whole collections may go for a few more dollars, but I'm sorry, your basement filled with Pez dispensers isn't going to pay your way to Cancun anytime soon. Now, this one surprised me. Collectible stamps, even ones that were valued at hundreds, at hundreds of dollars, are now only earning a fraction of what people paid for them at auction. If you have a huge collection of precious moments figurines, unfortunately, what you paid for them back in the 80s and 90s was probably the highest they're worth. <laughs> Most sell for between $5 and $20 today on eBay. And this last one may be the most heartbreaking. If any of you have a, st a box of these stashed away in your attic, hoping to fund your retirement, you need to find another form of investment. <laughs> While all the rage in the mid-90s, most Beanie Babies still only fetch a couple of dollars on eBay today, or are basically worthless. In our passage this morning, Jesus compares two different belief systems and therefore two different ways of living this earthly life. One has eternal, utmost, and everlasting value, and the other is inherently and thoroughly worthless. Like we've, talked, like we've discussed over the past month, there are really only two belief systems in this world that have only ever existed in the entire history of the universe. The first is what most every faith and religion across the world and across human history can be boiled down to. A religion based on a belief in deities and doing what you can to appease those deities and earn your way into a favorable afterlife. They're all based on what you can do. 
The second is the only other faith that has ever existed in the world and in human history. A faith in God, his promises, his promises of a deliverer, and a trust in that deliverer, paying the price for your sin on your behalf that you had no hope of paying yourself. In short, these two belief systems Jesus describes in one contrasting illustration. The first, or every other belief system, as darkness, and the second, or trust in Jesus for your eternal fate, as light. What we're talking about today, like I said, is the very end of this conversation Jesus has with this man named Nicodemus. If you remember, over the course of this past one and a half months, Nicodemus was the epitome of human achievement. He was the height of human intelligence, human education, and human self-righteousness. From a human standpoint, if anyone was going to earn their way into heaven, it was most certainly Nicodemus. But in this conversation that we've delved into over the past one and a half months, Jesus takes everything that Nicodemus trusted in, knew, and thought about how to please God and turned it all completely on its head. In short, it was nothing that Nicodemus had thought, believed, or taught to others his entire life. And here's why. Nicodemus firmly believed that if he believed in God and tried to follow all of God's rules as best as possible, he could earn his way into heaven. Heaven and reconciliation with God were things to be earned in Nicodemus' mind. And sadly, that's what most people walking around this world also think and believe. That if they believe in God or some sort of deity, deities, or some form of a higher power, and just generally try to be a good person, that's enough to enter heaven. But Jesus throws all of that out the window and directs Nicodemus and all of us to the truth. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are, good or bad. It does not matter. It does not matter how moral of a person you are or how many good things you do. It doesn't even matter if you just believe in God. Again, like I've said several times, who else believes in the existence of God? Satan. All that matters is that you take that belief in God and use it to come to him in repentance for your sin. All that matters is that you accept that the penalty for your sin is death. Both deaths, both physical death and the second death, or hell. All that matters is that you then accept Jesus as having lived a sinless life as both God and man and paying that sin-death penalty on your behalf and then rising again from the dead to offer you new life. Once we each make the individual decision to come to God in repentance, asking him for forgiveness only based on Jesus taking our place in death and then resurrection, and therefore make Jesus the king over the rest of our lives, we are given the third person of the Trinity of God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a tremendous gift. He immediately starts going to work on our lives, transforming us and the entire way we look at the whole world. He replaces our sins and addictions with the freedom of living for God. He replaces our fear and anxiety of the unknown and even the knowns of what is happening in our lives, our country, and the whole world. 
And he heals and redeems our past traumas, perceived identities, and physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds, scars, and torments. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit also transforms the way we process through everything in this life. He opens our spiritual eyes to understand Scripture the way that God wants us to understand it. He gives us God's wisdom and knowing how to handle even the most difficult of situations and dilemmas. And he gives us the peace of God so we can keep a level head even in the most erratic and chaotic times of upheaval in our lives. This wisdom, knowledge, and peace has been described once before in John's gospel already, all the way at the very beginning. This was the true light That coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. John starts this gospel out with the image of Jesus being the light, through whom all of God's wisdom, creation, and redemption is realized and fulfilled and exists in. As we read elsewhere, Jesus is the very manifestation of God's glory and therefore the light of God. So if Jesus is the light, what does that make literally everything else that has ever existed, currently exists, and will exist? Darkness. That's what directly leads us to our passage this morning. So, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, please turn to John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 19. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 3 or look this up on the Bible app on your smartphone. But I want us all to see this. John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, we read this. This is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. This is why I brought up what the Apostle John has already written all the way back in chapter 1, because it's the exact same language, isn't it? The world was already dark, and humanity loved the darkness. That's the way the world existed for pretty much since the creation of humankind. Once Adam and Eve decided they would rather give up everything they had with God and become like God themselves, the world was plunged into darkness. This connects with what this illustration also brings up. At the very beginning of creation, the world was characterized by darkness, chaos, and turmoil. Seems pretty familiar to today, doesn't it? But then something happened that drastically and completely changed everything. What was that thing? God said, let there be light. Suddenly, the whole concept of light was introduced into the universe. The light represented order, purpose, meaning, wisdom, and redemption. Suddenly, there was order. Suddenly, there were natural laws. There was a purpose and meaning to the whole rest of creation. And the wisdom of God was seen in all of it. Through this introduction of light, the world was redeemed from the darkness and chaos. Keep this connection with the very beginning of God's creation in your mind as we move forward. Prior to God saying the words, let there be light, the world was content 
to simply remain in darkness. It knew nothing else and had no understanding or concept that anything could or would change its state of darkness. Prior to Jesus entering the world as the light, the world was pretty much the same again, this time under the curse of sin. Humanity had existed for thousands of years, content to live their lives the way they had always lived them. The mantras were, do whatever feels good, and YOLO, and follow your heart. Does that sound familiar to today? All right. The world still wants to exist the way that, that it, it existed, and it always has existed. It doesn't want anything to change. So when the brand new concept of light entered the world again, this time as a being that was 100% man and 100% God, humanity didn't want anything to do with it. That's what John is getting at in verse 19. Men love the darkness rather than the light because they would much rather just continue to behave, live, and believe in what they had always believed, behaved, and lived as. Humanity was perfectly content to just rehash and relabel time and time again the same tired belief of trading God for other man-made deities and adhering to this foundation of just trying to be a moral enough person. Call it what you want. It was all the same. Ancient Egyptian, Mesopotamian, Indus River, Valley, Canaanite, Yellow River Valley, Sumerian, Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Native American, Macedonian, Greek, Hindu, Hindu, Taoist, Confucian, Roman, Pharisaical, Buddhist, Sikh, Muslim, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Masonic, Naturalistic Evolutionary, Wiccan, Neo-Pagan, New Age, or just some loose, lazy, and uncommitted form of agnosticism or downright atheism. Call it what you want. It's all the same. Humanity has just relabeled it different names throughout, of hum throughout human history. And humanity has just rehashed the same sins throughout human history. Cain's murder of Abel eventually became genocide. Murder became senseless war. Murder became human sacrifice and child sacrifice. Murder became abortion. The first act of treating another human being as less than a being made in God's image became slavery, abuse, discrimination, racism, and rampant injustice. The first sexual relationship and first gender identity outside of God's created blueprint for sex to only be enjoyed within a marriage and God God's creation of a biological male and female, along with their inherent purposes and roles, became premarital or outside of marital sex, stripped of its original meaning and purpose. It became adultery, it became polygamy, rape, incest, homosexuality, bisexuality, fluid sexuality, and any gender identity that humanity's creativity can come up with. The first theft became raiding, embezzlement, racketeering, and money laundering. The first lie became all sorts of half-truths, hidden agendas, betrayals, and excruciating emotional pain. Darkness has just led to more darkness, and the world is powerless to change anything about it. And it doesn't know anything other than that and perpetuating it to greater and greater levels of sin. We all know it and we all see it. 
This is the world that the true light entered into. But instead of embracing that light, the world saw it as unwelcomed, too radical, and too difficult. Why? Because this light challenged and rather overturned everything it had ever known. It was too different and too foreign. Instead of being okay with people just divorcing each other all willy-nilly, he called forth a different standard, that unless there's sexual unfaithfulness, there's no godly grounds for divorce. Instead of being okay with holding anger and resentment in your heart, he said that that was the same as murdering that person. Instead of doing the altruistic bare minimum, he said that you should love others as yourself. And specific to this conversation the light had with Nicodemus, instead of believing that belief in God and just trying to be a good person was good enough to get into heaven, you must be spiritually born again. That is, you must repent and you must accept him as the only hope of salvation from your sin. Instead of listening to the light, what did the world do to him? They spit on him, beat him up, tore his back to shreds, nailed railroad-sized spikes through his wrists and feet, situated him in between two criminals, hurled insults at him, and when he was dead, thrust a spear in his side. The world and its darkness, along with the whole kingdom of darkness, thought that was it. They had won. The world was silent in its darkness. And then... That light burst forth out of a borrowed grave, heaved the gigantic stone aside, and declared to the darkness and the entire world bathed in it, you lost, I won. That's just the beginning of the story. The world did not end at that point. It's gone on this way for thousands of years, for another 2,000 years, and the evil has only grown, except now it's accepted as perfectly fine. And in cruel irony, the darkness has been relabeled as light, and the light has been relabeled as darkness. But that does not stop the truth of what a life lived entirely in the world's darkness and never coming to Jesus in repentance and faith always boils down to. That's what Jesus describes in verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The world is content to remain in its state of darkness. Why? Because then it can just continue in that darkness without being called out for it. As soon as the light enters, humanity's actions, beliefs, and ways of living are suddenly exposed for what they really are. That's what brings us back to the very beginning of our message. As pointed out by one biblical scholar and the foundation of this entire message, what is a life invested in the things of this world. A comfortable life, a life spent doing whatever one wants to do at any given time, a life that chases after all this world offers, a life that is based on one's own standard of morality, a life that is unwise with finances and sees them as entirely theirs, and a life that follows what the world labels as normal. What is all of that when exposed by the light of Jesus? Nothing. Worthless. That's why those who are investing in this world want nothing to do with Jesus. 
Why? Because all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, everything they've invested their lives in, their careers, the way they're raising their kids, the way they're spending their free time, the way they've handled their money, everything will be exposed as being completely worthless. Who wants that? That is one reason why it's so difficult to get someone to see the truth of Jesus and why a life lived for him and only him is the only worthwhile way to live this earthly life. Because it suddenly throws everything they've known and built upon right out the window. But does that change what the truth is? Does it change what the truth is? No. Not at all. This is the truth. Verse 21. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Like I talked about towards the beginning of this message, when one forsakes all that their life once was, a life of sin led by selfishness and content to invest in this world, and comes to God in repentance, of all that that former life was, and knowing that Jesus paid the death penalty for both deaths, physical death and hell, as a substitute for them, asking God for forgiveness, and committing the rest of their lives to living in the light, purpose and obedience to Jesus, Scripture explains that that person becomes a brand new person. The Apostle Paul describes this brand new life this way, and it pretty much gives this message, uh, sums this message up in a nutshell. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Let there be light. The old is gone. The new is here. When we come to God in repentance, accepting Jesus for all that he said he was, God and our only hope of reconciliation with God, and therefore our only hope of entrance into heaven when we die, we become a brand new person. We are freed from this world, we are freed from its darkness, and we are freed from all that it holds dear. We are freed from the endless and exhausting chase of what the world shouts at us is important. We are freed from a life lived in fear. Fear of pandemics, fear of financial instability, fear of loneliness, fear of hopelessness, fear of meaninglessness, and fear of death. We are freed from the power of sin and addictions. We are freed from our pasts and who we once were. We are freed to a life lived learning about, internalizing, and obeying God's word. We are freed to experiencing all that God is and all the meaning, purpose, mission, provision, protection, and blessing he offers to his children of repentance. We are freed to hope that no matter what happens in this world, or whatever happens to us in these earthly bodies, none of it ultimately matters. For when we take our last breaths in these broken, sick, and decaying bodies, we will open our eyes in the very presence of Jesus himself. Not only all of that, but when we commit the rest of our lives to Jesus, what does that also free us to? As Jesus says in verse 21, that frees us to a life that anything we do in faith, 
Anything we do for someone else in Jesus' name. Anything we do as to work to please God and not just humans. Anything we give up to further Jesus' kingdom. Anything we do in raising our kids and grandkids in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. Any sacrifice to give financially to God's work instead of living in fear of lack. Any time given to serving God and his church. Anything we do to help out someone else. All the time we spend in prayer each day and reading God's word each day. Anything we live our lives for in pleasing Jesus and not ourselves. All of it. Every single bit of it is eternally valuable and none of it is worthless. All of it is valuable to Jesus. And scripture tells us that someday Jesus will reward everything we've done in our lives for him and his kingdom. Not only that, but I'll let you in on a little secret. Scripture also tells us that anything and everything that we live for and do with our lives that is not for Jesus will get burned up as worthless and meaningless. But the peace we have as followers of Jesus, having received God's forgiveness for our sin through our repentance and acceptance of Jesus as our salvation, is that we have nothing to fear from God. We get, we can get as close to the light as possible, for it will only reveal That what we're doing is for him. As we talked about last week, children of God are no longer under his judgment and condemnation. Those who remain in the darkness of this world, investing their lives in this world and never coming to Jesus in repentance, will simply continue on under God's condemnation and judgment until it ultimately results in eternal banishment to hell and its eternal physical and emotional torment. That's what John means at the very beginning of this morning's passage in verse 19, that this is the judgment. The world has been in a state of judgment for thousands of years. That's what the curse of sin has earned. Anyone who never accepts the true light remains in the world and simply remains in the world's state of judgment. That's the judgment John refers to in verse 19. Jesus already references this fact in the verse before it, verse 18, which we covered last week, that those who accept Jesus are freed from this judgment. And those who don't are judged already, for they simply remain in the judgment the world has been under for thousands of years. There will be a day when the world is judged for its thousands of years of sin, evil, and darkness. For its thousands of years of people doing unspeakable acts of evil against one another. Perpetuating greater and greater acts of sin. And the connection between the curse of sin and the upheaval of the natural world that that results in natural disasters. That judgment on the world is known in the Bible as a seven-year great tribulational period. That's the wrath of God and his justice poured out on the world for its thousands of years of evil. But again, what does Jesus say in verse 18? And Paul reiterates in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 that believers in Jesus are freed from God's judgment. God's condemnation, God's wrath. 
So the Bible also describes that Jesus will come and rescue those children of his still alive in the world, bringing with him the souls of those who died before that point, give both these living and once dead believers new glorified bodies, and rescue us out of this world's judgment to be with him forever. This is known as the rapture. And at the end of everything, this world will be burned up with fire. This world is only destined for judgment and destruction. So, especially to believers, this world holds no value. It's just as worthless as that stash of Beanie Babies in your attic. Don't invest in it. Don't chase after anything in it. Don't base or found your life on anything in it. Don't invest your kids' lives in it. It will only lead you further and further into its darkness and dysfunction. Once you give your life to Jesus, as God's word describes, we are suddenly freed from the world and suddenly become strangers to it, only passing through it on our way to heaven. Anything we invest in, in connection with this world, can only and must only be what Jesus wants us to invest in, to win souls for him and to further his kingdom. Bottom line. A life lived for this world and its darkness, never coming to Jesus, is worthless and meaningless. And I might add, a life technically saved by Jesus, but spent on selfishness, worldly ambition, and worldly investment, really as we see in Scripture, is worthless and meaningless. Only a life lived for Jesus, being called out of and freed from this world and its darkness and everything done in that life for Jesus will be rewarded and has eternal value. So, what are you living for and how are you spending your life? This isn't just an innocuous question. This is a question that impacts your eternity. What are you living for and how are you spending your life? Those who never come to Jesus will only have judgment, condemnation, and ultimately hell to look forward to. Those who do only have everything they do for Jesus to be rewarded and earthly life spent in his grace, mercy, protection, and provision and a heavenly home to look forward to. I'd say that's a pretty good deal, don't you? Again, one last time. What are you living for and how are you spending your life? May your answer, after being brutally honest with yourself, be one of eternal reward. And if not, may you make what tough changes need to be made in your life. And may all of us together as Christ's church seek to please him with everything in our lives and in everything we do to grow and be blessed, to glorify him and to further his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these few verses, these very powerful verses. They don't pull any punches. They don't beat around the bush. They get straight to it. And Lord, I pray that we would be brutally honest with ourselves and have an honest conversation with you. How much are we investing in this world? And how much are we investing in you? Lord, if there's anybody here who has never invested in you, has never even repented, has never even uh, come to you for forgiveness, I pray that they would do so right now because it is the most important decision they could ever make with their lives. 
and to not put it off any longer. And Lord, if there's anybody here who knows that they have been saved from, from these two deaths only by the forgiveness of Jesus, but they've let some things slip and, and, and they're finding themselves too much in the grip of this world and too much investing in this world, I pray that you give them the courage to release, to release that grip, that grasp from this world, knowing that we've been freed from it. So why would we let ourselves be in bondage to it? And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here who has, lives their life for Jesus, they do everything they can to, to do what he wants them to do and to further his kingdom. I pray that they would not grow weary in doing what uh, you want them to do, that you would renew them with your strength and your power, that all of us as one church, as one body, as one family may give you all the glory we possibly can. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.